0: hello everybody and welcome back to the around the corner podcast i'm your host matt dallas and i have with me mr brian hemminger brian how you doing
1: i'm doing good uh it's good to be back um got a bit of a change-up going on here with uh the podcast
0: yeah, so unfortunately uh Matt Schlichting has decided to just kind of step back from doing the podcast. He's been pretty busy, just had a lot going on and decided that uh you know over the course of the off season and stuff, just now was not a great time to to be focusing on uh, putting out some podcast content for you guys, but we thought it was important to uh to keep it going. Uh Matt will certainly be missed. Uh we loved having him around on the podcast. I loved I, I'm a Long time listener myself. Um, really enjoyed listening to him. So he will certainly be missed. But the show must go on, as they say. And we've got some good prospect type news to talk about for you guys, uh, primarily uh, with the Arizona Fall League and the Rule 5 draft. So we're going to kick it off with some some AFL action. Um, you know, the big news obviously being Kyle Manzardo and Chase DeLauder uh, had really, really banner years out there. Uh, Brian, do you want to kind of talk about that a little bit for me?
1: Yeah. Uh, so for those that aren't aware, uh, you know, Manzardo was the player that Cleveland got back in the Aaron Savalli trade. It was a straight up one for one. So he needs to be good or it wasn't a good trade. Um, he is a first base prospect. Uh, that's about the only position he plays first base DH and, uh, really loud hitting tools. And, We got to see brief flashes at the end of last season. Um, He was uh, injured when we acquired him, but then he got activated with Columbus and uh, looked like he recovered from his shoulder injury and played really well down the stretch, hit a lot of home runs. And that carried over into the AFL. Um, During his stretch in the AFL, he was uh, a bit of a powerhouse. Um, And in 22 games, he slashed. 272, 340 with a 565 slugging, um, was near the tops in the AFL in home runs with six. I think the league leader was seven. Um, knocked in 19 RBIs, uh, walked nine times to uh, 22 strikeouts. Just overall rock solid and uh, kind of made up for some lost time because um, he struggled a little bit in the beginning last year at A. Um, but then after he got sent to Cleveland, he looked really good. And then he looked amazing in the AFL and people are really excited about him, uh, heading into spring training next year. I think there's a very realistic chance he makes the club right out of spring training and is playing alongside Naylor every day at first base and DH. Yeah. Um, so and then the, yeah, go ahead.
0: <laughs> I was gonna say with, uh, with <laughs> we're still getting down the, the cadence a little bit, folks, uh, with Manzardo, I think one of the things I remember early on was that he only got like a 40 raw power grade from, I think uh, it was Fangraphs or Pipeline or one of them. Mm-hmm. And he uh, he proved that wrong with a 470-foot blast followed up by a 440-foot blast in the same game. Um, so clearly the power tool is there. And I think the big thing that they like about him is if you look at his batted ball profile, it is all pole and all fly balls. There's just yanking fly balls in the air. Um, And that's that's the Jose Ramirez formula to to get to power when you don't necessarily have the the big raw power grade necessarily. His in-game power ability is absurd um, just with his batted ball profile. So he's a guy that's exciting to watch. It's hard. It's hard not to let the the comparisons and the expectations run wild with him, to be sure.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, the thing that stood out to me was really loud exit velocities and he just wasn't always getting the launch angle he needed. So uh, it seems like he's really turning the corner there. And if he does get that sorted out in terms of getting that ball in the air a little bit more, a lot of those doubles that he's been hitting are going to be turning into home runs. So that's sure. what really gets me excited. Like I legitimately think he has a good shot at winning rookie of the year next year if he stays healthy. Oh, absolutely. And, um and the thing that's really exciting about it is because he's a highly ranked prospect, we could get the Julio Rodriguez effect. Where uh, it's a new rule, but if you are a top like 100 consensus prospect across the board, I think on multiple different prospect lists, and he is, and you make the team out of spring training, and then you win Rookie of the Year, you get a first round pick extra in the next draft.
0: Right, and you like, get it before are, the yeah. normal compensation picks. It's it's like pick 31. It's like yeah.
1: immediately after. So like Seattle got it because of Julio Rodriguez. It kind of encourages teams not to, uh you know, punish players for being good by manipulating service time. So, and he's good enough that I don't think that they should. And I think he has a legitimate chance to yeah. do that. So Cleveland has had There's so not many a lot of... Yeah
0: gonna say there's Go not a lot of top prospects right now at the like at the very top of the prospect ranking list that are close to MLB ready. It's a lot of like A ball and double A ball guys with high ceilings. Um so he could be potentially like one of the guys that's in maybe a little bit of a weaker rookie of the year cl- class of guys that played for a whole season. So just by nature of him opening the season with the team, if he does what he's capable of doing, he'll be in in the running for sure with a really good shot at winning it.
1: Yeah, last year was an absolutely loaded rookie class, and Tanner Bybee got second. And Cleveland has consistently had guys in the top, like, four or five in the Rookie of the Year for, like, the past decade. They just can't win it. I think Manzardo has a legit shot to do that. Agreed. Um, And then uh, the other position player that everybody was raving about was uh, Chase DeLouder. Now, he was our first-round pick in 2022. He... Uh, Didn't play the year we drafted him, was recovering from some uh, foot issues, and that stemmed over into last season. He didn't end up making his debut until uh, the middle of the season, and when he started playing, he was unbelievable. Just put up banana stats at high A. Um, Lake County ended up getting a late promotion to double A. OPS, like, well over 900 all season. Batting average in the 350s all season. Hit for power, hit for average. Um, just did a little bit of everything. He was sensational. But because he had a shortened season, they let him uh, continue on into the AFL to keep getting those reps. And let's just say uh, that DeLauder stood out. Um, He also played uh, a similar amount of games. I think he played 23 games in the Arizona Fall League. And he slashed 299, 385, 529. So five home runs compared to six for Manzardo, and I know it's a garbage stat, but he led the AFL in runs batted in with 27. So he also walked 14 times compared to 11
0: strikeouts. So well, You always love everything. a guy that strikes, yeah. you know, walks more than he strikes out. That's, yeah. that's huge. With, I mean, with the lotter, the tools are just so loud. So the the, mm-hmm. the question that I'm, I'm sure everybody's asking with him, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on this, Brian, is the swing is a little funky, right? Yes. And it's really just the follow through, right? Because the, the bat, to, like shoulder to ball, he's he's fine. It's once he gets through the path. For yeah. you, what, what do you, like, does anything about his swing worry you as he gets to the next levels? Well, at the current
1: rate I'm at, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> And uh, yeah, he's kind of got what they call like this kind of scissor swing where he's it kind of has this kind of goofy follow through where the the bat kind of just pushes up after he hits the ball. Um, And it looks funky, but I mean, he just crushes the ball and makes consistent loud contact every time. Like it could just be one of those things where it works for him. (laughs) I don't know um, if it'll keep working, but So far, so good. I mean, he he dominated high A. He dominated in a brief stint in double A. And then he goes to the AFL and is one of the best hitters in the entire AFL. Uh, Had a 914 OPS. So, like, he looks legit. Like, he is leapfrogging everybody in Cleveland's minor league system in terms of the outfield. And they have some decent outfielders on the way. And, yeah, just absolutely dominated like like as good as we I thought Manzardo was I thought DeLauder was even better in the AFL so I mean this is wild and and he's knocking on that door too so we'll get to that a little bit later
0: <laughs> Yeah I mean hey Hunter Pence made a lot of money playing baseball with a pretty funky swing in his, in his own right so yep. if it, it ain't broke don't fix it I I think I agree with you a 100% on that um, especially because like you said that the the exit velocities are there and he's not swinging and missing so what's the issue You know, like Mm -hmm. what what would be the thing that you're hoping to achieve? I mean, he could probably hit afford to hit the ball in the air a little bit more. And I but I don't know if that's a result of it, like his weird follow through or not, you know?
1: Yeah. And uh, until it starts affecting him negatively at like as he goes up higher, I'm not messing with it. Like if he if he's still doing it against triple A and then major league level talent, just let him do his thing.
0: Yep. And with how, how he performed in the minors this year, it's not crazy to think that had he made his season debut at the beginning of the year like everybody else and wasn't hurt, that he could have been knocking on the door of AAA with, you know, rumblings that he'd make the team out of camp going into this offseason.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was clamoring for him to make double A like a month before they finally promoted him to double A. Well,
0: I mean, when you're um, hitting three sixty at Lake County.
1: Yeah. Like he just never had a, a bad stretch. When he was down there and um, and then he got promoted and he didn't slow down there either. Like he actually improved his, uh, you know, walk rate and his strikeouts went way down because he was, you know, being a lot more selective. And like that just kind of shows that he just has a really advanced feel for hitting. So this is a guy that we should really be excited about as long as we can stay healthy. Just keep praying to those baseball gods. No more foot injuries for Chase DeLauder.
0: Absolutely. There's, and there's a lot of prospects that you get in your systems and, you know, you start to fall in love with them because they're your guys and you maybe have a tendency to overrate them a little bit. You know, guys that are maybe, you know, a couple, two, three win players and you start to think, oh, maybe they could be stars.
1: Mm-hmm. Louder
0: is one of those guys that was is a premier talent in the minor leagues. There, were, there was rumblings that he might have even been able to go first overall in the draft had he not been injured in, uh, and played in the small conferences senior season. I mean, he's that talented.
1: Um, yeah, he he he's he's wonderful, and he could be, you know, the solution to a lot of Cleveland's problems. I mean, we've got the infield kind of locked down. You know, we got catcher, we've got first base, we got second base, we got third base, we've got like eight guys vying for shortstop. So that's all kind of going to sort itself out. It's outfield that's the big problem. You know, we got Stephen Kwan, and then we're just not quite sure for everything else. If Chase De continues to do what he's doing. I mean, he could be uh, ready to go at some point next year and then could be ready to start the season with the team uh, 2024 or uh, 2025. So, you know, it it makes Cleveland's issues on what they need to do with free agents a lot easier if they don't have to commit to something long-term because they've got this guy coming.
0: So, Absolutely. So d- let me ask you this. Is he a guy that you think could handle center field or is he someone that projects more as a corner guy
1: I think he could be center I mean he's not like a a massive burner um he is pretty quick I mean he stole I think five bases in the AFL um and I think he could play center field but you know in terms of bat profile I mean he he would fit in just fine
0: in a corner outfield as well Gotcha. So center field would be gravy for him, but you're more than content putting him at a corner spot. Yeah. Like, you know, I would
1: honestly, if Stephen Kwan can do it, I would be ecstatic to have him at center because his bat is more of a typical prototypical center fielder. You know, the guy that leads off, gets on base, steals bases, you know, draws walks, just does his thing. Um And then you could have, you know, Lauder as a corner guy, maybe George Valera as a corner guy, maybe a, you know, a Jonathan Rodriguez, Oscar, whoever, Brennan, any of those guys. We've got a lot of potential to fill all those spaces, but I think a lot of our problems would be solved if we could, if (laughs) uh, Kwan could move to center, but I don't know, like back-to-back gold gloves and left, it's kind of tough to (laughs) want to move somebody from there.
0: There's a part of me that thinks with how how unwilling they've been to do it, that if they were going to do it, they'd have done it by now, yeah. you know? Uh, I, I, I agree with you 100%. I, I think he would make so much sense in center field, but it just it, – it seems like they've just got an aversion to putting him out there, and I'm not sure. Maybe mm-hmm. with, with vote, you know, a new perspective, but I'm sure a lot of that comes from the front office anyway, but who knows? Yep. So – Apart from the, the position players, which that was what everybody was was talking about, what all the attention was on, what Twitter was focused on, uh, the Guardians did have two pretty solid pitching prospects that played pretty well in the AFL. I think we should probably talk about them a little bit. First off is, uh, is Ryan Webb, the AFL strikeout leader. Brian, you were telling me a little bit about him uh, pre-show, that he was a guy that dealt with some injuries. Let's talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, he was a, uh, fourth round pick, I think in the 2021 draft, I believe it was the year we got Tanner Bybee. Um, and in that season, he was recovering from Tommy John surgery. And, uh, when he debuted, he didn't debut until about halfway through the season, had some flashes of brilliance. Um, and then last year he was looking really good and then he got hurt. Uh, uh, and then he ended up coming back late in the season. But he missed a good chunk of last year with some injuries. But in the end of the season, he still uh, was one of the top Cleveland pitchers in the minor leagues in FIP, I believe. I think he had uh, ended up about fourth in out of all minor league starting pitchers for Cleveland that played full season with a 3.93. So that's actually... Pretty impressive, all things considered, and uh, had a, was third in the the team in the organization out of starting pitchers in uh, batting average against was third in uh, WHIP and was second in ERA. So I mean he had he still had a very good season um, despite having an injury. So they decided to let him you know get some extra reps in the Arizona Fall League, and a couple things really stood out. Um, in terms of, you mentioned it, strikeout leader. He pitched in 22 point and two-thirds innings, 36 strikeouts. I mean, that's, for a starting pitcher especially, that's ridiculous. So, um, he had six more strikeouts than any other pitcher. Um, He did, you know, he was a starter, so he pitched a little bit more innings than anybody else, but still, the ratio stayed ahead of everybody else too. So, I mean that's elite, like that's you know that's primo primo reliever numbers for strikeouts.
0: Yep, he was uh, second in the entire AFL in strikeouts per nine innings with fourteen point two nine. Wow, which is absurd.
1: Yeah, Andy was near the top of the AFL in batting average against um one ninety eight. So he actually improved, and that's this is a hitters league. This is a league where mostly you send all your top position player prospects to get to show off. And that's what, you know, Manzardo and Lauda were out doing just crushing everybody in the hot thin mountain air too. Yeah. Where you're going to give up more home runs. Um, And yeah, 198 batting average against like the only thing going against Webb. Yeah. Was, was the
0: walks. Uh, Well, notably with the, with the 198 batting average against, he only had a 310 BABIP against. So it's not like he was getting lucky. I mean, that's, that's just kind of, Accurately how he performed is about a 198 batting average against.
1: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this is a guy that's hard to hit, strike, misses bats. So really exciting that he had a very strong uh, AFL performance. Yeah, the only, the only thing that stood out negatively was he did have some walks. I mean, 14 walks in 22 and two-thirds innings is not good. But um, considering, you know, how many bats he was missing and he was consistently going out there against really good, you know, patient hitters, and and he's never even pitched at double-A yet. Like last year, he pitched at high-A. So um, c- considering that he has not even faced, you know, double-A AA or triple-A hitters, and he was facing some of the best prospects in baseball, um, the the performance he had was elite. So I'm really excited about what he can do next year. He's, he's definitely somebody to keep an eye out for in the, the 2024 season.
0: Yep. And this is a stat that I sometimes look at with, with pitchers, um, with a similar profile to him that are guys that are maybe more strikeout artists, shall we say? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I remember, I hate bringing him up, but, you know, Trevor Bauer used to have this issue where, you know, he'd pitch great, you know, he'd give up, you know, no runs on five hits and eight strikeouts, but he couldn't make it through the fifth inning because he was throwing 25 pitches an inning. Mm -hmm. Uh, Webb only threw 15 pitches an inning at about three and a half per batter for a guy that's striking a lot of guys out. That's, that's a really efficient mark. And I mean, that's over what a 90 inning sample size. That's pretty, pretty substantial, right? That's about 10, 15 starts. Um, You know, for me that indicates a guy, you know, just in the pitchers I've worked with, like the guys that can get outs like can, can go and kind of paint the corners a little bit and get and induce weak contact while still getting strikeouts and not let their pitch count inflate. That to me shows a guy that's got a potential to make it as a starting pitcher long-term. And, you know, given that he's close I mean, he looks like he's 24 years old, he'll turn 25 at the beginning of uh, the beginning of the season next year. He's a guy that could rocket through the system fairly quickly um, with a full year of health under his belt.
1: Yeah, I think he was a college senior when they drafted him, and then he was recovering from the Tommy John. So he is a little bit delayed on the development compared to some of the other guys. You know, like Bybee was healthy and dominated and just shot through the system. So him and Williams. So you know, this is definitely a guy that uh, has the potential to to get
0: there. So. And as an anecdote, his player picture looks identical to Justin Masterson. <laughs> So just go on minorleaguebaseball.com and and take a look at Ryan Webb's player picture and tell me I'm wrong. But anyway, who is so we had one other uh, pitcher in the AFL and I I started resorting my stat sheet here and lost him and it was Ross Carver.
1: Yes, yeah, Ross Carver. He was the the pitcher we got back in the um, Carlos Vargas trade with Arizona. Like we sent them Vargas, we got back a starting pitcher that, was expected to start the year last year at double A. He didn't really have a very good season last year. Um, you know, he pitched uh twenty-one games, seventeen starts, ERA was six fifty, whip was one forty nine. Like there really wasn't anything that stood out a ton other than that he was striking out a decent amount, you know, eighty eight and seventy five innings. Um, but he I thought he had a decent performance in the the AFL again, considering it's an offensive focused league um had an ERA of 4.50 and struck out 21 in 18 innings pitched so kind of maintained that strikeout rate. So, you know, nothing real crazy, but it was an improvement over what he did at Double-A last year. Like I don't really think he dealt with any injuries really or if they he did they weren't like significant. He just kind of was a a, a space filler at Double-A last year. He wasn't really threatening to to get promoted or anything, but um, uh, you know, maybe there's still some potential there. Um, you know, there's a reason Cleveland traded for him. So
0: fair enough. And and this is, uh, as anecdotal of a stat as you can find, but a little fun fact for you. If he made, uh, the major leagues, he'd be the second player from Benton high Ar- Benton high school in Arkansas to make the major leagues. The other being, uh, former Cleveland Indian cliff Lee. Oh, okay. That is, a I like that. Fact for you.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, I I mean, hey, those Benton, Arkansas guys, man. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, with Carver, like, look, like looking at his numbers throughout his career, he looks like the kind of guy that they picked up because, you know, they probably saw some sort of uh, peripheral that they liked and thought that maybe, hey, if we get him in here, um, you know, who knows what we can do with the, the pitching factory and churn out something out of him. So, you know, I'd be interested to see what his 2024 looks like after a full off season in the guardians pitching development going like the fact that they sent him to the AFL means they're trying to get him to go work on something I'd imagine. Mm-hmm. So he's the kind of guy that I'm, I'd be interested to see what he can do, especially given, I mean, he's a career 10.4 strikeouts per nine guy in the minor league so far across three seasons. Um, so he's clearly got some, some swing and miss stuff. Um, the walk numbers are pretty high. I mean, he walked, um, what was it? Like four, close to five uh batters per nine innings this year in the minors. Um and he, he gave up the long ball at a pretty high rate as well. Uh so I mean it, it's I'd be interested to see how how next year goes from he could be someone to keep an eye on, but maybe not someone who I'm um, putting all the eggs in that basket, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. And last year was his first full season at double A. Like he in two thousand twenty two he kind of spent about I would say a third of the end of the season at double A and uh and and he had a nine fifty e r a at double a that year <laughs> he had a good yeah. high a he was three ten and earned the promotion Uh, so what's hilarious is you know the six fifteen e r a that he had at double a was actually an improvement
0: <laughs> <So>. <laughs> hey imp- it keeps improving at that rate eventually yeah. i
1: mean you know you of- get it down to four this year, and then you know by the time he makes the majors, he'll be you know rookie of the year so
0: there you go. I look, I'm I'm at the point where if the Guardians acquire a pitcher, my my ears perk up at mm-hmm. this point. You know, I've just I've seen it happen too many times to where this guy where you go who and then all of a sudden he's you know, Tanner Bybee, you know, third round pick and the next year he's rookie of the year, you know? Yep. So um that's I think everybody of note that was in the AFL. If there were other yes. guys that were missing, I think yeah, that sounds about right. So with that, I think uh, now would be a good time to kind of pivot to the Rule Five draft. Now they did protect Daniel Espino, they did protect yep. Jonathan Rodriguez, um, and there was one other guy that they protected whose name's escaping me. Uh, Cade Smith, reliever. Cade Smith. That's right. So they protected those guys, um, and they did leave a few um, notable guys unprotected. I do think we have a tendency sometimes to overstate the likelihood that someone will get picked in the rule five drafts. I mean, most teams don't even pick a guy every year. Um, mm-hmm. So we'll see what happens, but there were a couple names uh, that were notable. So Brian wants you to fill us in on who those are.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, for those that aren't aware of how the rule five works, you know, whenever you draft somebody uh, out of college or high school or sign them internationally, um, it starts to countdown And, You know, if you sign somebody that's like 16 years old, it's like more of a four or five year countdown. You draft a high schooler, same thing. And then if you uh, draft a college player, it's a shorter countdown, like three years or something. So basically, they have a set amount of time to progress through the system and then be added to your team's 40-man roster. And if they hit that deadline and they are not on your 40-man roster, another team can draft them out of your minor league system and then add them, and then they have to be on your major league roster all season. So that's – like they don't just have to put you on the 40-man. They have to be on your 26-man and stay there. And if they get sent back down to the minors at any point all year, you lose them. So notably, Cleveland lost Anthony Santander. That's by far (laughs) – Uh, our worst rule five loss in that I can think of. Um, And then Cleveland got uh, Trevor Steffen from the Yankees, notably who, you know, has had a pretty good, uh, you know, by far our best rule five pick that we've ever had. So uh, you can get some, some important players through that. Um, And last year, I think Cleveland lost one or two players, but they got returned. So uh because if, yeah, it was
0: two relievers yeah. whose names I can't remember.
1: Yeah, I know he was he got diagnosed with cancer like right after they drafted him like it was really weird like uh but he did end up coming back and uh, pitching for Cleveland. Um they they also previously had lost like uh, Luis Oviedo in the Rule 5 and then he returned as a free agent actually. So um so it, yeah, it, Luis it's kind of weird. Yeah
0: was he the one that was like number nine in the around the corner prospect list? And every week we kept doing a check-in with him and it just kept getting worse and worse and worse and worse. We're waiting for it to turn around and it just never did.
1: Yeah. He he had like one brilliant season where he exploded up into like the top 10 rankings on everybody's list. And then the follow-up season, he struggled then got hurt repeatedly and then got hurt and finished the year on the injured list. And, never made it back to relevant and then got drafted in the rule five. So, but uh, yeah, he was at like triple a last year. So, I mean, he still is a guy that could potentially impact Cleveland down the stretch. They just needs to kind of turn that corner, but for sure. uh, Yeah. You know, in terms of who Cleveland could lose, there's, there's a few notable names. Um, The biggest ones that stand out are the, the premier draft picks. So, um, you look at guys like Ethan Hankins and Lenny Torres Jr. They were both first round picks out of high school. Um, and they both had a Tommy John surgery. so you know they both lost a significant amount of development time due to recovering from injuries. So they both really impressed when they were young and before they got hurt. and neither of them have really, impacted since coming back. You know, they've both struggled a little bit uh, with control. Um, They both are throwing in the upper 90s again. Um, They're just trying to kind of get sorted out. Like Torres, it looks like they've converted to uh, kind of a closer role at the minors. So he had some flashes last year, but I think he didn't go any higher than high A at any point. And Hankins, I think, got up to double A. But he also did not pitch much last year, was still dealing with some uh, other injuries. Um, But it looks like they're trying to keep him as a starter. So he's the one I would say I'm most worried about losing in terms of potential. Like somebody, you know, I still get goosebumps watching his performance as a Team USA, you know, under 18, like just dominating like Japan. Oh, yeah. he,
0: He waves at the guys as they strike out. In that video, it's unbelievable.
1: Like he was, he was insane during that. And I think that that's still there. It's just, you know, are we going to get enough time to work with him and let that pitching factory, you know, get him back from fully from the Tommy John surgery? Because last year was kind of his first, like, real time that he got to, to showcase a little bit. Um, yeah
0: worth noting that from about july 29th on he made somewhere in the realm of about looks like seven starts mm-hmm. and he allowed only five earned runs in yeah. uh what looks like twenty nine innings of work so mm-hmm. he started, oh he started out like rough i mean he had a yeah. uh yeah he struggled back to back to back starts like one where he was like couldn't get out of the second inning gave up eight runs walked a bunch of guys um but the strikeout stuff was still there for sure. The velocity is still there. And this is a guy that was in the conversation to go first overall in the draft. Like he was the preeminent favorite to go first in the draft going into that season. Um, And he Mm -hmm. slipped because of some, some injury concerns, but I mean, the tools are still there, but you know, there's a chance a team, like we were saying, might, you know, try and pull a Santander, maybe do something where a team that's not in contention, stashes him as a reliever, and you know puts him in low leverage situations to just get him some work but um I wouldn't I would be stunned if he got picked mhm
1: yeah i i mean you have to you got to remember you got to put him on your big league roster all season and he's not hurt so you can't stash him on the injured list like Baltimore did with Santander so i think it's unlikely That somebody takes him, but he is somebody that I would say I'm most concerned. Like, if somebody got taken, I would be probably the most upset.
0: (laughs) For sure, that's a good way of putting it.
1: Yeah. yeah. Like, um, in terms of potential, I think that he has the highest potential of everybody available. Um, There are several players that could also be taken that are really interesting in terms of um, pitchers. Uh, I'd say Tanner Burns stands out. You know, he was a guy I think was a second round pick or third round pick when we drafted him Um, and he's kind of been, you know, stuck in double A for the past two or three seasons. But last year he actually had a really good season at double A and was knocking on the door to get a late season promotion to triple A. I'm not 100% sure if he actually did get promoted. Let me see. And, uh, yeah, he was at double-A all last season, um, and he had been at double-A the the year before. But last year, he dropped his ERA down to 301. You know, the whip dropped down from 135 to 126. Um, Strikeouts, you know, were right there at one per inning. Uh, Walks were a little high, but, uh, you know, everything looked pretty good. Like, he's definitely ready to at least – Pitch triple A next year, and he was uh uh in 2020. Yeah, he was a competitive balance pick, so he actually was a in betweener first and second round um guy. Still just 24 years old, so that's definitely somebody that uh somebody could take a shot on. I, I would not be surprised if there's a team that you know needs some pitching, maybe takes a chance on Tanner Burns. Um, the the players you're most likely to lose though are relievers. And uh, we have a few of those as well that are available. I'd say the most likely ones to lose are somebody like Mason Hickman, a former fifth round pick. I think the year of the 2020 draft. Um, And he, he was a starter that got converted to a reliever. And the second he got converted to a reliever, he was really good. So uh, I think he made it up to AAA last year. So that's somebody that's at least got that experience close to the major league level. Thomas Ponticelli is somebody that I think throws in almost hundred miles an hour. So somebody could take a shot on him. Um, Nick uh, Mikolejczyk and Andrew Masiasek are both guys that, you know, when healthy they were knocking on the door to be uh, added to the 40 man roster or make the team and help them in the bullpen. But they both are recovering from Tommy John surgery, so I don't know if somebody's going to take a shot on them.
0: Michael so. I know, was in the conversation to open with the team last year out of camp had mm-hmm. he had a, a good spring, but then he got hurt.
1: Yep, um, him, yeah, him and Masai Sek both ended up getting Tommy John. So, yep. but they both really? were definitely, you know, really intriguing bullpen arms.
0: Right. And like you said, relievers are, are usually pretty likely to to be the guys that get picked because they're a lot easier to just stash on your roster.
1: That's what we did uh, with Stefan.
0: Exactly. If you Yeah. For those of you that don't remember, Stefan, you know, he only pitched 40 some innings uh, in 2021, despite being on the team the whole year. You know, Frank mm-hmm. used him super sparingly. It was more let's keep him on the roster, make sure he gets his work. But, we, you know, we're not competing this year. So let's just let him kind of do his thing.
1: Yeah. And then 2022 um, was his
0: breakout. Exactly, and then he obviously gets an extension. I think he'll he'll have a bounce back year, but that's that's not what we're yep. what we're on the air to talk about right now. But um, there are a couple position players worth talking about, particularly in the upper levels of the minors. Um, I know you mentioned Daniel Schneeman and Micah Priest, as well as Aaron mm-hmm. Bracho, as guys that could potentially be selected. Schneeman had a phenomenal start to the year. Uh, at AAA he was hitting like 350 midway through the year then he cooled off a little bit Um, I'm personally uh, the founding member of Schneeman's Demons uh, the Daniel Schneeman fan club on Twitter so I would personally be pretty devastated if we lost him in the Rule 5 Uh, but uh, he seems like a guy that would be uh, a team would have no issues taking him in the Rule 5 trying him out in camp and then sending him back I could imagine.
1: Yeah, he's definitely that super utility guy that you know had a really strong um, offensive year for about two thirds of the year. So he was he was in uh, Matt Schlichting's uh, corner cupboard so for most of the season. And yeah,
0: uh, um, Priest is another guy that's that's fairly mm-hmm. interesting. So why don't you talk about his profile a little bit?
1: Yeah, Micah Priest is a guy that can play a little bit of first base, uh, a little bit of outfield, can DH, a little bit of everything. Um, He, uh, I believe, is a a left-handed hitter, guy that, uh, let me uh, pull up his peripherals here.
0: Yeah, left-handed hitter, right-handed thrower, can play first, center, mm -hmm. and left, according to baseball reference.
1: Yeah, he was a 13th round pick by Cleveland in uh, 2019, so he's 25 years old, 6'3", um you know got good size um and yeah can play first base outfield um and uh, last year I would say it was a bit of a down year because uh in 2022 he was terrific had uh, uh basically hit 18 home runs 73 RBIs at double A um, and then impressed in spring training last year um in some uh opportunities that he had and Then he spent the entire 2023 season at AAA, where he slashed uh, 232, 328, 424. Um, He did set a career high in walks with 47 and dropped his strikeouts to uh, 101. Um, uh, I'd say the biggest thing that happened with him, though, was I think he was dealing with some uh, leg injuries a little bit. He was a little banged up, even though he played a lot. And it was most notable in the drop-off in his stolen bases, you know, as a big guy, six foot three, uh, he went from 14 stolen bases with one caught stealing in 2021. Then in 2022, he had 20 stolen bases to four caught stealing. And last year, three stolen bases, four caught stealing. So hopefully, you know, he's, he's got that sorted out, but, but he is somebody I think that could get taken, um, it just depends, you know. He didn't have a great season, so you know maybe that'll scare some teams off too.
0: <laughs> it did. Now he he seemed like just looking at his like by month splits. He was pretty much just like up and down. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. that he was like consistently a 230, 333, three, four forty four guy across the across the way. I mean, he had a month of July where he was 320, 410, 750, and mm-hmm. then seven home runs, which is that's that's scorching hot. In in uh in 20 games he had a really good start to the season too with uh 280 350 470 triple slash in the month of April as well, um but like you said you know a guy that you know coming off an injury may be a guy that a team would take a flyer on, um and again like you know I remember this is gonna be a wild reference but in 2012 I think we picked a guy named Mike McDade, uh a first baseman from Texas, um and he was a guy that like we picked in the Rule Five draft. We just kept him around in camp and evaluated him um, mm-hmm. and, you know, just decided, hey, you know, he's not someone that that we want to mess around with. And so just kind of sent him on his way. Um, so uh, that's that that is kind of what I could envision happening is, you know, you get a team that's maybe on the fringes or maybe, um, you know, a little outside of contention, you know, somewhere kind of like the A's. Right. That that just needs guys.
1: Yep. Uh, that would be happy. that's to what happened that's what happened with like a uh, Kai Tom, you know, the A's took him and we never got him back.
0: So. <laughs> yep. So, you know, you never know. Um, But I, I think it's, it's fair to say that, uh, you know, given that they kept, what was his name? Rivas on the 40 man, you know, that's a spot that you could play with. Mm-hmm. Um, I think any of the guys that they didn't protect, they're either fairly confident that they're not going to get picked and, or wouldn't be devastated if they did get picked.
1: Yeah, the only other guy that I think has a decent shot of getting picked is, uh, you know, Brian uh, LaVastita. You know, he was a guy that made the 40-man out of spring training and started with the team, you know, uh, a year ago. And now, you know, he's off the 40-man. He spent most of last year at AA while Bo Naylor was getting all the reps at AAA. And then he got promoted back to AAA late in the season because he started playing really well. So. You know, he's, he's kind of bounced back and uh, looks to be ready to, to play at the Major League level compared to, you know, when he kind of wasn't ready the first time they called him up. Um, but he's also not on the 40, man. So if somebody needs some catching depth, Cleveland looks like they're looking to back up Bo Naylor with a veteran, not with another rookie. So uh, I think that somebody could take a flyer on him. And yeah, all the other... Yeah, go ahead.
0: I was going to say, just with the amount of like catching turmoil we've had over the last couple of years, especially in that backup catcher slot, I'm surprised a guy like Brian Lavastita hasn't gotten more of a shot. And the fact that they then didn't protect him just says that, to me, that the organization is fairly out on him, whether or not they're right or wrong, in that remains to mm-hmm. be seen. But yeah. it's, it seems like a guy that they just wouldn't be, probably wouldn't be heartbroken if, if he got picked.
1: Yeah. I mean there are several other players that are really interesting but none of them made it to AAA. Most of them didn't even make it to Double A. The most notable I would say is uh Aaron Bracco who was once a top 10 uh you know round or a top 10 prospect in Cleveland system had a really good bounce back year last year at Double A after two terrible years at High A. So, you know he was one of those guys where they promoted him and he just had to succeed and he did. Um, he was, he was one of Cleveland's better hitters last year at those, uh, lower levels. Um, and then everybody else though, um, they're really interesting, but they're just not like, I think nobody played higher than high A, uh, but you know, Juan Benjamin, um, Colado, Collado, Jose Devers, Diane Frias, um, who else? Uh, Jorge Burgos, Luis Durango, like all these guys are really, really interesting and young, but none of them, I mean, they're those guys that Cleveland signed at 16, you know, they got affected by the COVID year, lost a year of development, and didn't like leap a, a level after that, so they just kind of been slowly progressing, and they're just not close enough yet that Cleveland felt the need to protect them, but right. all of those guys are are interesting, so... For sure, uh, I, I highly, highly doubt anybody takes a shot. I mean, Santander, I think, is an outlier, and he had a ridiculous season at high A the year that he got taken. He had never made it to double A, but it was just kind of that perfect, terrible uh, combination of great season, injured, terrible team taking him that can stash him. Um, I don't think anybody else uh, has that you know, kind of, yeah, that perfect combo to, uh, to take any of those other young guys.
0: Yeah. And I think uh, with, with Bracho though, the one thing that I think about with him is you, like you mentioned with the pitchers who had actual prospect pedigrees attached to them at one point, you know, it, we all remember that. What was it? That 2017 international class that had like Valera mm-hmm. and Rocchio and it was just insane. Bracho, I think, got the highest signing bonus of anybody in that class. So they were like he clearly comes with some background of being like a sought after guy. So he seems like someone that we'd at least be weary of losing,
1: I should say. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and he and he did have a good season last year. So I would be pretty upset if he did get taken, but I can understand not keeping him because he's kind of a second base only guy. We've already got that locked down. So. Uh, You know, if he gets another opportunity somewhere else, you
0: know, I would just root for him there. And I'm fairly certain he gave up switch hitting this year. And that was kind of the big thing with it.
1: He moved to right-handed only, I believe, and, you know, unlocked some power. So and had some uh, flashes of uh, hitting for decent average, too. Now, for the season, he didn't hit for a very high average, but uh, kind of sold out for power and and played really well. So he was he was, uh, you know, we kind of. During the regular season, we would track, you know, our top players of the week where who had the highest like kind of OPS at throughout the system throughout and uh, over two week stretches. And he was a player of the week like three or four times like it was nuts.
0: Yeah, so definitely somebody to keep an eye on. But again, somebody that I think both you and I would I think it's safe to say be pretty surprised if if he got picked Mm -hmm. somewhere. Cool. So that thing about covers it for the Rule Five stuff. Before we wrap up, I do want to pivot over to a couple of listener questions uh, that we did get uh, from from the Twitter people. So keep an eye out, by the way, at uh, Cover the Corner on Twitter. Uh, we'll occasionally uh, troll you guys for some uh, for some listener questions. So be on the lookout for that. We'd always we try to answer as many of them as we can. So feel free to to ask on there. Um, first one comes from Jeff. Uh, at mtofnern on Twitter. Jeff, I'm sorry if I butchered that. Um, it says, if you could change the positions of a couple prospects, who would they be? Um, so I think what he's asking here is if you've got a prospect that plays a position that you could move to another position just so they fit better in the org, who would be the guys that you, you think of there?
1: Number one for me, by a landslide, is Juan Brito, corner outfield. Love it. Uh, Absolutely. Like he is uh, in shortstop hell right now. (laughs) Had a great season last year, um, split between high A and double A. Absolutely belongs. He's patient at the plate. He's got the potential for power. Um, He's just not even close, I think, in terms of defensively, what Cleveland's looking for at shortstop. So the sooner they transition him to a corner outfield position, the better, because I think, you know, he's the kind of guy where the bat plays and um, he's athletic enough that he can do it. I mean, if they if it worked with, like, Nolan Jones, it could definitely work with a, a shortstop because, you know, Jones was a third-base prospect. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that guy, that would – Solve a lot of problems if he was a good corner outfield prospect instead of a good shortstop prospect that's behind five or six other good shortstop prospects.
0: Yeah, I think that's very well said. And I think I agree, I agree with everything you just said. Uh, just to pick somebody different, um, I know he's technically not a prospect anymore, but I'd love to see Tyler Freeman uh, be able to play some outfield. Um, you know, I'm a big Tyler Freeman guy. My name on Twitter has Tyler Freeman Truther in it. Um, I just think the guy just produces everywhere he's been. Um, and I'd love to see him, like you said, get out of the, the shortstop purgatory that we seem to be in with, you know, like 25 guys vying for that spot. Um, you know, center field, if he's, he's athletic enough and can move a little bit, that seems like a spot that he could take to. But again, it's it's not exactly um, simple. To, to just mm-hmm. up and move positions like that. So uh, Jeff, again, had another question, which was, who has a better chance of being guard developed? I'm guessing that means pitching factory to the next level, Doug Nikhazy or Tommy Mace?
1: They're both interesting. I think uh, Nikhazy was a second round pick the year we got Bybee and Gavin Williams and Mace, if I'm not uh, mistaken, was like a second round pick as well, like maybe a compensation pick or a competitive balance type pick. Like, they were both upper-level um, arms in the same draft, I believe.
0: And this was competitive balance uh, B round, so this is the second round competitive balance compensation picks.
1: Okay. And uh, I would say Nikhazy. He has shown a little bit more flashes. Um, Nikhazy had uh, some good strikeout totals. His debut season he just wasn't quite getting uh you know getting outs like we were hoping and he made it to double a by the end of the year had a i think a a double digit strikeout performance or two uh his debut season and then last year spent the whole season at double a mace struggled at high a and um repeated there last year but then had some really good stretches at high A and earned a promotion to double A. So I think they both finished the year at double A, but Nikhazy spent the whole season there. Um, So I would say Nikhazy's closer to making it to Cleveland. And he's also a lefty compared to Mace, who I believe is a righty. Um, I just think Nikhazy has a little bit more, you know, intrigue in terms of strikeout stuff, in terms of handedness of pitching and, He's one of those guys that's a bit of a psycho on the mound, not quite. Oh, he's Karen James Jack, Karen Jack from the left yeah, side. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not quite Karen Jack, but he's close. Like in, If you watch some of his highlights in college, I mean, he is completely bananas out there. So really emotional leader type of guy that you can rally behind.
0: Yeah, and, the, big, uh, the know, big concern. Without, with without
1: the anti-vax stuff. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. The big concern with him is he's been nearly a uh, seven walks per nine guy in his minor mm-hmm. league career. Eleven point three strikeouts per nine, but I mean he's you know combined with seven hits per nine, you can't be allowing fourteen base runners per nine innings yeah. and make it very far in major yeah, league that, baseball. that's that's
1: why he didn't make it to AAA last season. So you know last year was a little bit of a down year, but I still think the potential is a little bit higher with him. But Mace yeah. did come on strong at. at and he showed some flashes last season compared to, you know, not showing much his debut year.
0: For sure. Now, a, an important note with the pitching development, and I agree with you. I think Nieksewitz is the better, the better prospect in general, and and I think has a much higher ceiling. Command, developing command in pitching is, is really just a matter of developing repeatability and mechanics. Um, and and that is if there's one thing the Guardians have like. A signature of it's an ability to get guys, athletic guys who move well, to repeat their delivery well. Um, and I think Nikazy is the type of guy that just with the raw movement and deception and, and ability that he has on his pitches could be a guy that if they can get that walk rate down, he could be absolutely nasty. So I, I think mm-hmm. Nikazy is the is the clear answer. Um, next question is we got from list Alyse at Alist216 at on Twitter, do you think Manzardo starts the season in Cleveland, and do you think it's possible for DeLouter to make it to Cleveland next year?
1: Uh, I think Manzardo does start the year in Cleveland, and I think that he is a legitimate candidate for Rookie of the Year, and I do think that as long as DeLouter stays healthy with the performance he just put up in the AFL, um, if he keeps those kind of numbers going, even anything close to that, as he continues to progress at the minor league level, Lauder is a legitimate candidate to get a late season promotion to Cleveland. He's going to start the year at double a I'm almost certain, but could have a short leash at double a if with the way he's been hitting, like he was just as good as Manzardo and Manzardo is a guy that is established triple a ready to, to play at major league level right now. And Delouder was just as good. So I think uh, he just needs to keep showing that he can do that, and yeah, DeLouter would not be shocked one bit if, again, stay healthy, earns a promotion to uh, Cleveland at some point in 2023. It'll depend on health, on injuries at the Cleveland level, all that stuff, but outfield's our biggest need, and he is by far our most productive, interesting outfield prospect right now.
0: I agree on on both counts, 100%. I worry a little bit that they might try and pull some service time shenanigans with with Manzardo, um, but I think the the smart play is just just let him let him open with the team and, and take his lumps and and get into a groove. Now, one thing that is important to note for those of you who have not been scouring the Arizona Fall League Twitter account like I have, go, it, it, Chase louder and Kyle Manzardo's bromance might be my new favorite thing in all of baseball. Those two guys appear to be absolute best friends and I cannot wait to see them together in a Cleveland lineup. It's going to be so fun.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, these guys are the next big thing. They're, you know, kind of the, the I think they call them the bash brothers a little bit. So, <laughs> uh, and that's exactly what we need too.
0: I to say with our outfield last year and our power production, the word bash and I'm, I'm all, I'm sold. I'm sold. Um, mm-hmm. next question. Actually, our last question is from Benny boy, nine, six, two on Twitter. Uh, which position player, and which pitcher do you think will lead the team in wins above replacement? So we agreed that we were going to challenge each ourselves to go with somebody other than Jose Ramirez for the pitching mm-hmm. for, for the position player. Cause that's the obvious answer. So Brian, you had one. So why don't you go ahead?
1: Yeah, I'm going to go Josh Naylor. I mean, when he was healthy this year, he was just as good as Jose Ramirez, uh, had a set of career high in RBIs, again, garbage stat. But when you got Jose Ramirez getting walked, leading the league in uh, intentional walks in front of you, if you're going to keep knocking him in, that's going to make force people to pitch to Jose. So uh, I think uh, when healthy, Josh Naylor is elite. Um,
0: yeah, and Manzardo protected him on the other side, too.
1: Yeah, that'd be sick. It'd just be so sick. So, yeah, I want to see... Uh, a full season of healthy Josh Naylor and what he can do because, you know, he's still got more potential for power. I mean, he's hitting for contact. He's uh, not striking out a lot. Um, Like he was knocking in a lot of runs, just really hitting the ball well. So he knocks a few more out of the park. I think that he kind of transitions from somebody that can protect to uh, Jose to somebody that, needs it, somebody protecting him.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Andres Jimenez. Uh, he's a guy that just by the nature of his base running ability and his, his defense is going to stuff the war stat sheet uh, mm-hmm. pretty easily, right? Like he, he had a down year this year and I think he was what, still like a three, three and a half war guy, wasn't yep. he?
1: And um, still won the
0: platinum glove. Won the platinum glove. Um, And, and I don't know if everybody remembers correctly because it was, month amidst uh the dark times this season in, in August and September, but Andre Jimenez had an absolutely scorching end to the season. He was yep. on fire. For as as rough as most of his year was this year, um, you know, he started out really slow, just felt like he couldn't get it going. Um he hit uh three thirty three, three sixty nine, four ninety with three home runs, uh, four doubles, eight stolen bases. Um, in the month of September, um, you know, just absolutely tore the cover off the ball to end the season. Um, so not to say that the 2022 Andre Jimenez is all the way back yet, but, um, look for him to have a major, major bounce back season, um, next year. And he's a guy that could be, you know, you, all of a sudden you look up and he's in the all-star game again.
1: Yeah. Had 30 steals too. So, you know, definitely not somebody you want to sleep on. I, I'm keeping him as my, in my keeper league. So, <laughs>
0: Hey. <laughs> I don't blame you. So for pitchers, uh, you know, I'm going to go with Tanner Bybee. Um I mm-hmm. some of that is I think Bybee's unbelievable. Um, you know, I've been high on him for a while. And, you know, it was really funny. Pitching Ninja posted a uh, one of those silhouette videos of just like guess whose mechanics these are. And it was Verlander. And everybody kept guessing Tanner Bybee, um, which there's something there. Something to be said for that. Um, but apart from how good I think Tanner Bybee is, I'm not counting on Shane Bieber as a member of our rotation next year, whether that be health and or a trade. Um, and I just, I I would be shocked if Tristan McKenzie throws more than 120 or so innings next year. So, which means Bybee is for all intents and purposes, your ACE. And quite frankly, he pitched like it uh, down the stretch this year. So that's my pick.
1: Yeah. And uh, if he was, if I was fully confident he was healthy and ready to roll, I would have said Tristan McKenzie. He was arguably our best pitcher in 2022, the season that, you know, we had a surprise run to the playoffs. He was – and he pitched well in the playoffs too. Uh, but, uh, yeah, and I probably would have said Bybee, so I'm going to just go Gavin Williams. I mean, he was really impressive last year as well. Not quite on the Tanner Bybee level. But he does have that, you know, first-round pick pedigree, um, that elite velocity, elite strikeout stuff. So if he can kind of take a leap next year, um, that's something that I think would be really, really uh, impressive that the team can rely on down the stretch. So, uh, yeah, that Bybee Williams combo one-two punch is going to be nasty for quite a few years here.
0: Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, it just it. It's amazing. They can't keep getting away with it, churning out pitchers like this, can they?
1: <laughs> no. And there's more coming.
0: Uh, there are. I, the, I, I do want to end with um, with one kind of question that I had kind of thought of. You know, every year it seems like there's a guy that comes out of nowhere in the system uh, and just kind of rockets his way up. You know, a couple years ago, it was Stephen Kwan. Uh, mm-hmm. Last year, I know he got some prospect hype towards the end of the offseason, but Tanner Bybee skyrocketed. So did Logan Allen. Who would be your guy? this year to keep an eye on to, you know, Hey, all of a sudden in the off season and talking about him at the beginning of the year is the, the guy to watch the sleeper pick.
1: Okay. Uh, I'm going to go with somebody that I'm thinking people forgot about. And uh, his name is Justin Campbell. He was, I think our second round pick in the 2022 draft. He was supposed to start last year and Uh, Ended up missing the whole season with a surgery to repair some like nerve issue in his elbow. So it's not like he had a tendon fixed. So it's not like he's coming back from Tommy John or anything. Um, And he was a guy that's like six foot six, throws like in the upper 90s, like just all that same pedigree of all of our elite arms that we've developed into really good starters lately. And he just hasn't had that chance yet. So I'm hoping that if he's healthy he's somebody that establishes himself as one of our next great pitching prospects.
0: Love it. I'm going to go with a guy on the opposite end of the spectrum, you know, a little less, a little less loud physical tools, um, more of a guy that just kind of all he's ever done at every single level is produce and produce at a high level. And that's Will Dion. Um, He kind of walked away from the Kershaw imitation a little bit towards the end of the year, had more of a traditional pitching windup, but he is just, consistently produced elite numbers at every level he's been at. Now it's it's hard for you to make it as a left-handed pitcher only throwing what 89-90 on a good day.
1: Um Yeah, I think topping out in the lower 90s right now, so.
0: But he's got a career 2.14 ERA across 47 minor league starts, 256 innings with 307 mm-hmm. strikeouts in those innings. So clearly yep. he can get guys out. So I'm thinking he's a guy that You know, might crack the rotation next year. That's going to be the the flag I'm planting in the ground that he gets a a couple spot starts down the stretch. That's going to be my my bold call.
1: He did finish last year as Cleveland's uh, lowest ERA among all qualified minor league starting pitchers. So, you know, I was kind of hyping up Ryan Webb, but it was actually uh, Will Dion and uh, advanced to Double A and continued to pitch well at Double A. So. Uh, yeah, he, he probably starts the year at AAA and is knocking on the door for the, the Major Leagues if he can continue performing and producing.
0: Yep, I do think there's a couple guys in front of him for the rotation, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, Cantillo,
1: Espino, yeah.
0: He's, he's definitely but, a name to watch for me. hmm Cool. All right, Brian. Well, hey, thanks for your time. Thanks for coming on. And we love talking prospects with you guys. Join us. Uh, we'll we'll be keeping you guys updated throughout the off season. We don't typically do these a little more sporadically. Um, I do know that we'll have our uh, Covering the Corner prospect countdown coming up uh, a little bit closer to spring training. That usually starts, what, late January?
1: Yep, late January and then takes up the entire month of February, pretty much.
0: Cool. So be on the lookout for that. I mean, we're getting to be about, what, two months away at this point. Mm-hmm. So anyway. Brian, have a great weekend, and uh, we'll see you guys next time.